0: Hello, welcome to Two Broke Nerds, two friends talking about whatever the hell they want, because what else are we going to do during a pandemic? I'm Alec Kerr, and I am a movie geek.
1: And I'm
0: Brian McElhenney, and I'm a music geek. And amazingly enough, this is our one-year anniversary episode. We have done this for a full year. Wow. (laughs) I'm exhausted. How about you? (laughs) Uh, when we started this, I don't think either of us thought that this pandemic would would stretch on as long as it has. No. No. And that that everyone's life
1: would so radically change, because everyone's life kind of did radically change in big ways, small ways, sideways ways, all kinds of ways.
0: Yeah. Well, you're going to be starting a new job. My wife Ashley started a new job. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. So, in honor of our anniversary, we're going to do another sh- shameless self-promotion episode. Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> and and talk, about, talk about how our two creative outlets kind of combined. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess we haven't really talked about the fact that you are also a musician in addition to being a journalist.
1: No, we haven't. I I turn it on and off at will, I guess. Well, no, I just I've had periods like this before. I think this is the longest one, though, where I just stopped, where I just didn't do music at all. But it's happened before. It's it's nothing new. I'll play music for a while and then I'll stop for like years and then I'll start again.
0: Yeah. And like, I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of people. This pandemic has kind of forced people to kind of reconnect with their creative side. And so you got back into doing music after, I don't know, how many years apart from it? Five, six? Something like that.
1: I don't know. And it's hard to say because it's not like I didn't ever pick up guitar for like four or five years or however many years. I would still pick up a guitar, but I consider myself more of a songwriter because I don't play guitar that well and I don't sing that well. And I don't, you know, it's, it's, what is the thing that I do? I create stuff. So it's just another means to an end. So when I say I stopped, it was more like I stopped writing stuff. I would still pick up a guitar and like play some stupid Metallica song or something. Cause I was bored.
0: <laughs> right. So we've discussed, we met in college. So I encountered you as a musician when you were like 18, I guess. But when did you first get into performing and writing?
1: Oh, hmm. So I got my first guitar for my, uh, God, 13th birthday, 12th birthday, 13th birthday. I don't know. Somewhere around there. And that was influenced by, uh, like, almost everything that was inspired by Nirvana. And I learned guitar basically by learning every single Nirvana song. Like, Nirvana is a great band to do that with because they're really easy to play and the songs are really good. So it's like easy to just learn them all. And so that's what I did. And that's how I learned how to play guitar. And that's how I learned how to write songs because everything I do is kind of like from that creative space. So if I had a guitar in my hand, all the like dumb little melodies that I would hum to myself as a kid would just kind of come out because that's what it does. You know, it's like that with anything. And I sit at a computer and look at a blank
0: document. I'm going to write something. Do you remember like the first time you like performed and thought, oh, okay, this is, this is something.
1: I did a talent show. I did a couple talent. I did a couple of my high school talent shows
0: with different bands.
1: And that was kind of fun. And then when I was a senior in high school, we had to do this presentation thing for my english class and i somehow finagled it because the drummer in my band was in another of this teacher's same english class and i was in the ap class and he was in the regular class but like we had to do the same project so i somehow finagled it to like can the presentation part of it just be like we play a concert and amazingly we got to do that so like we dragged both of our English classes down to the um, auditorium in the school. And uh, we talked for a couple minutes about playing music, and then we just played a bunch of music. It was fun.
0: That's cool. Side so thing that's sort of related. When I was in high school, it was my sophomore year, we had a, a Shakespeare term for English, and everybody had to choose a monologue and perform it. You had to memorize it and perform it. And so I chose final monologue from The Tempest. I had it down cold. I was really excited. And the person that went directly before me, his name's Ben Hammond, he had the exact same monologue, and he went up with a guitar and sang it. I was like, oh, no. Oh, that sucks. And I got up there, and I went completely blank. Damn damn like i because it was just randomized who was going next and i was like i have the same monologue it's like that's all right i was like but 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 (laughs) Uh, god that's
1: like breaking all the performance rules (laughs) yeah 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 the other part of your question was like you know it's funny because these are all questions I ask artists all the time and now I have to think about it and it's like, I don't fucking know. But like <laughs> the whole thing about knowing that this is a thing, I still don't know if it's a thing. You know, I still
0: perform and I'm like, really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and Yeah. The problem with anybody who's creative is that like you can write something and someone else could be like, yeah, that's actually really good. And you're like, really? No, I don't, I don't like it at all. I think it's terrible. Uh I had my I've always liked your songs. I've always liked your songs. I've always thought that you were a good writer and I do think that you're a good guitarist and I think you have definitely improved as a vocalist over the years as well. So I was in a band for
1: like 5 years in New York called The Hearing Aids. We had a song that got on the radio. It was fun. I don't know if I ever actually heard it on the radio. I might have one time and I might've been dry. I seem to remember driving home one night and I hap—I never listened to radio and I happened to turn it to the station and I caught like the end of "Wrongheaded," which was our, our quote unquote hit. Anyway, the story I was going to tell was I remember after a show, both of the guys in my band. So Mark and Rob, the bass player, both of them cornered me and were like, you really need to stop bashing yourself and bashing us on stage. And I was like, well, okay. But I mean that's like how I that's how I deal with everything. It's like self-deprecation. And that's how I deal with putting myself in front of people and doing stuff like this.
0: It's just by making fun of myself. But apparently it was just too much. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think there's a fine line with that because uh, like kevin smith does that all the time like it's part of his shtick now with his podcast and going around the country is to shit on himself like oh mall rats a terrible movie yoko's really that's a terrible movie but it can get old and you and then eventually at some point people are just going to be like well why am i listening to you if you think you're terrible yeah yeah
1: so that that is a very real issue with that but i mean i'm yeah, you've seen me play live. I'm just a sarcastic asshole. This is how I protect myself. I play, like, these really earnest songs that I write and then to make up for that or to defend myself from that, I flip the switch and I go totally sarcastic and dismissive of myself when I'm,
0: like, between songs. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a defense mechanism and and as you said, you write songs that are very vulnerable and exposed and one of the first songs i remember listening of yours and it's a song i know you've revisited numerous times over the years was shattered
2: It's gone. This initial feeling I believed in you. Are you as empty as the hollow words that betray you? I was wrong, but I'm used to it by now, so it's okay. I'm counting back from words that never meant a goddamn.
0: And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is a really great song. And I would put it on mix CDs and mixtapes because I actually made (laughs) mixtapes. I was probably one of the last people to actually still make mixtapes. And I'd just be like, yeah, you need to listen to this song. It's great. And another one from those early college years was Intoxic. That was one that I, I would show to people a lot.
2: Outside and colder than you're letting on, running round in circles, trying desperately to make a sound. There's nothing that approved. Not like you never knew. Drowning out the question with so many small apologies. How intoxicated will you be before you look at me and say the words of your
1: ended up with the hearing aids actually the hearing aids did shattered ones too on a on a radio show it was just me and mark and i just pulled it out
0: because i was playing acoustic and he followed along it was fun it's funny with 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 the hearing aids there was kind of like a little of a spinal tap thing going on because and i have no idea where these interviews went but i interviewed the band twice and both times there was a new bassist and we were saying that if it happened again, if the band stayed together, I interviewed you a third time. There probably would have been a new bassist.
1: There, there would have been because with our our last album was not recorded with the bass player you interviewed the second time. Yeah, he flipped out. Yeah, one of those is still floating around on YouTube. I think I actually have hair in it. It's fun.
0: <laughs> but with the hearing aids, like most of the time you've done recordings, it's kind of just been lo-fi. In your apartment or whatever. But with the first hearing aids album, you actually were in a studio, you put some money into it, you had a name producer, and it was kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, we did that with Don Fury, who is big in the New York City hardcore scene. He recorded like Agnostic Front and Gorilla Biscuits and a couple like the first Helmet EP, I think was his. Yeah, he did quite a bit of work on the New York City hardcore scene. And I I wanted to record with him because he did all analog recording. None, there was not a computer in his studio. It was all analog. So that's why I wanted to, to work with him. And we recorded everything with him. But the first album was the one that we like multi-tracked. And I, that was supposed to be like a solo album. And it comes across more that way when you listen to it. 'Cause it doesn't it doesn't really sound like a band. We kind of became a band after that. And then all the other recordings we did after that were like live in the studio. But yeah, that first one was more just again, it was like getting back into writing songs again, and I wrote a bunch of songs and then I just found people to play with me.
2: Which <laughs> it was like,
1: you know, find the best people to, to play with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the best people to play with you are going to get along
0: with each other. Right.
1: It was me going like, I know you and you're like the best bass player right now. You're going to play on
0: this record. And I know you, you're the best drummer I right know. You're going to play on this record. Yeah. But I actually, I, I really think that is a great album. I revisit it every few months or so. And it's on Spotify if people want to listen to it. it is yes. <laughs> Going deaf with the hearing aids. Yeah. Yeah. It's on Spotify. It's a good time. Like I I like legitimately think it is a great album. And I think it's a shame that more people have not discovered it.
1: Well, it's it's kind of a moot point now since we're not a band anymore. And since it's like 10 years old, man, I got to get on the the reissued gravy train there, with that shit.
0: Oh yeah. You know, I probably have some uh if you've lost them, I probably have some of the early demo acoustics <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't have those anymore. I literally, I had like 200 something demos at that point. Like I was just writing stuff and like I sent a bunch of stuff to people like, pick your favorite songs. And that was like a fraction of what I had written. So like it somehow got whittled down to 12 songs, which I mean, that's, you talk to any songwriter or musician, that's, that's pretty standard. You write, like, 200 songs, and if 12 of them
0: are good, you're, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Oh, a song, because I'm just going through my computer just seeing what I have of yours. I have, and it's one of my favorite things that you've ever done, it's the Smells Like you Spirit, the Mount Fanny version.
1: Oh, wow. That's... I remember doing Smells Like Teen, like, learning how to s- play Smells Like Teen
0: Spirit on ukulele. I do not remember doing that. I will have to send it to you, because it's, it's uh, really amazing. And the Mount Fanny is this voice that you created. Well, why don't you tell the story?
1: Well, now that I live in Oregon, it's just really strange. But, like, we, had vis- we were visiting Portland for, like, an Amnesty International thing. And we're in the hotel, and there was just this big mural that said Mount Fanny on it, and it just tickled me. So I started talking like an old man, and you're like, Mount Fanny. And then I did that for like a day. As you and do, just everyone up and probably pissed someone off too. But you know, whatever. That was that was Mount Fanny, which now I'm like I don't know Mount Fanny somewhere around here. <laughs> it's in Oregon. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'll play, like, a 15-second, like, excerpt from that so we just don't get into trouble.
2: With the lights huh?
1: Yeah, it's, um, I'll sit down and I'll write, like, songs, like, what I consider real songs, like, that I write lyrics and care about and think about, and then I'll write stupid stuff like that, or write, write in very, I use that term very loosely and do air quotes as I say, write. (laughs) Something like that was probably like, I'm feeling stupid, let's do this. I have a song floating around called Reasons You Can't Get High in Space Oh, I remember you playing that for me once Yeah, which is exactly that It's Reasons Why You Can't Get High in Space
2: A cruise on the shuttle There's nothing to do We're miles from home And we all hate the food We're getting desperate but Neil brought a bag. WAIT! Don't light that. Up. Reasons you can get high in space. Reasons you can get high in space. Well, you use them all the oxygen, that's no joke. There's not any oxygen, everybody chokes. I that? Mean, 'cause mean,
0: because sometimes you, you, you can't just write. I mean, you can write just earnest, heart—you know, heartfelt songs. But sometimes you just need to do something silly. <laughs>
1: here's why I quit this maybe edit, but like, I just stopped, I just got sick of hearing myself. And like the hearing aids were very, I mean, that was very like the personal side of me. And like, I started as I was going through a breakup, and then I was bouncing around and, you know, very, very in my feelings, what was me, 20 something year old who can't get laid, basically. And so I wrote a lot of really emo shit, I guess is how I'll put it. And then when I moved out here and I'm, I'm older, I was older, I'm like in my 30s as opposed to my 20s and I'm like playing all these old songs and I'm like, I don't like these. I just want to shake the, the kid who wrote these and tell him to shut up. Uh-huh. Like we all have problems shut up deal with it. So I just I, I got sick of hearing my songs. I got sick of my lyrics. And I got sick of playing. I just, like, it was always a thing where, you know, I'd, I'd freak out before I'd go on stage, but when I was on stage, I'd feel fine because I would be in my element, I'd be playing music and just in that element. But it got to the point where, like, the anxiety didn't go away, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm in trouble. And so I haven't done an open mic night since, like, 2015, 2016. And honestly, even though I'm writing songs again, I don't really have a desire to. I don't really want to be the singer-songwriter person. Because it's it's so overdone, and it's so,
0: like, just, I don't don't connect to that, really, anymore. Was it just the pandemic? Because the, the songs you've been writing are very much reflective of the environment we are in right now. And there's a lot of anger and frustration in some of those songs. So was it just sort of the pandemic kind of opening you up to writing music again?
1: Yeah, it was kind of like, well, now I have something to write about
0: again. Or now I have things to write
1: about. I've stewed for like five years or however many years that I didn't write songs in, and now there's, there's, oh God, is there stuff to write about right now? There's things to say that don't all have to do with me and my woefully um, idiotic love life. So... So, yeah. So I, I found something to write about again. I don't know. It's such an ethereal thing. I can't really sit here and go like, well, this is exactly what happened and how I did it. And it's like I had little pieces of things floating around, but like no desire to write words to it. And then I, I don't know. I don't know. I just sat down one day and said, i want to see if I can still do this. And I can still do it. So I did it.
0: And I guess that's a good enough place to transition to talk about me now. I want to talk about myself now. Yeah. That's kind of what happened with me. I was just sitting around with nothing really to do during the pandemic. And I had this script that I wrote like 18 years ago. And then I revisited it like three years ago, rewrote it, still wasn't really working. And I just put it back in the drawer again, so to speak. And then I was like, Fuck it. I'll try to crack it again. And so it's just called Conflict of Interest. And I just did sort of a weird little experiment of doing it as a serialized four week presentation, sort of like a throwback to film serials and radio serials of the past. And yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Well, I think we need to rewind,
1: even though we've talked about it on Uh, the podcast already and you can listen to this on our podcast because it's part of our podcast Uh, figuring out will kind of to back up kind of started this and that was another one i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think that was another one where you you found something you had written before and just reworked it
0: yeah i found an old flash drive from (laughs) when i was in college and it had three scripts on it One wasn't even worth trying to salvage. I actually, there was one good scene in it that I pulled out and I put into figuring out Will. And then I just tossed out the rest of it. So that I did three years ago in New York. But it was an abridged version of it. So I wanted to do the full version of it. So I did it as a radio play. After having done that and having such a good experience of doing that, I was like, well, I have this other thing that I wrote that I could try to finish. And then it would be something else to do. So that's what I did.
1: Yeah. And, like, figuring out, well, I mean, the the radio play aspect of it, that was because of the pandemic, too.
0: Right. And Uh, just kind of finding a way to do this where we're not in person on a stage. Right. And that was, this conflict of interest was done via Zoom, and so there were virtual backgrounds. And the fun thing about that was, because it is over Zoom and we're just doing video chats... I was able to reach out to people from different parts of the country. And I had a couple professional actors from New York, Doug Shapiro being one of them, who appeared on our podcast. And Joel, who's not a professional actor, but Joel Barber, who's also appeared on our, on our podcast. I was just like, hey, do you want to do it? Why not? And so that was sort of the fun aspect, that it could be kind of all over the place and bring all these different people together.
1: Yeah. I was almost going to be on it, too, until I realized I was going to have to be on video, and I gracefully backed (laughs) out.
0: Yeah, I found a a way to pull you in, because (laughs) there is a fictional band, in conflict of interest, called Catchy Band Name. And there was a throwaway line that was a name of one of their songs, Get the Punk Out of Here. And I was like, hey, Brian, you want to write that song? Yeah
1: and i just so the band in question is they specifically state in the play that their influence is green day yeah. like influence singular is green day and i just happened to have so when the hearing aids were still a thing i remember bringing this song into the band and we tried it a couple of times and this is the only time this happened and it still cracks me out everyone in the band was like no <laughs> was like an immediate like no just no and I think I tried to rewrite it, and it was still just like, nope, we don't want to do this song. <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, but the, the reasoning, which was coming from Mark, our drummer, who was, like, a bigger Green Day fan than me, so it was kind of weird to me. He was like, it sounds too much like Green Day. I'm like, you like Green Day? He's like, yeah, but I don't like you doing Green Day, I guess. <laughs> That's so weird. So, anyway, like, so when, we, when Alec wanted me to do that song, when you wanted me to do that song, I was like, "I've got the perfect fucking
2: thing." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and the characters are, and it was based on an actual conversation I had with a friend years ago. So there's this whole big philosophical debate, and it was an actual conversation I had with somebody who was like taking this like pretentious, high-minded view of Green Day being existential. And I remember just being like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And, yeah, really. And who was this? I can guess who it is, but I'm not going to say it on air. We'll talk it about actually that. is it. It was a guy I went to high school with named. <laughs> and <laughs> I, lo- I love how I didn't even have to say a name, and you're like, "Nope, it's not that." <laughs> <laughs> and this was the days of to just to even to date how long ago this conversation was. This was the days of like AIM Instant Messenger. Uh, and so I remember just thinking, this conversation is absolutely absurd. So I just cut and pasted the entire conversation. And I was like, I'm going to use this one day.
1: <laughs> I did. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, I mean, that's reflective of you as a writer because you tend to pull more from personal experience. I mean, I guess we all do. But I tend to be the person who's like, all right, great. Let's add some aliens in this, which as you know, as we as we go on, you'll see. But
0: yeah, Uh, yeah, there's a line in a movie. uh, I always kind of ref. It's a movie that Alan Cumming co-wrote and directed called The Anniversary Party. And it's nothing is sacred to a writer. So it's just that you borrow everything from life. So if I hear something in life that I think, oh, wow, that's really good. Chances are I'll steal it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. That's what creative people do. If you know anyone who's creative, chances are they've stolen something that you've talked about with them. Or, or they've written a song about you. Or... yeah.
0: Yep. So, yeah, I'll probably put a link in the description of this podcast to... Because the, the complete version, I edited the four parts of this serialized version of Conflict of Interest together... And so now if somebody wants to watch the whole version in one sitting, they can do that. And I I actually haven't watched it all the way through myself yet. But it's always interesting as a writer, when you write something to be performed in like theater or film or or whatever, uh, you don't really know if it works until you hear it. And so (laughs) it's been really gratifying to actually get to hear it and be like, oh, so this doesn't suck. That's nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I think you get the same thing with music, too, if it's recorded correctly. And you're like, yeah, this is pretty good, actually. But I guess if you want to give people the the cliff notes of uh, what is conflict of interest about, and why is it called conflict of interest?
0: Well, I think people are aware of what the, the expression means, but maybe they don't. In journalism, you're supposed to excuse yourself From an assignment, if you have some sort of conflict with it. If you have an emotional conflict with it, if you know somebody involved with the story and you can't be objective about it, you're supposed to say, I have a conflict of interest. I can't participate in this article. And so the main character of my play has a history with somebody he was assigned to interview, and they're no longer on speaking terms. And so he says i can't do this but his friend and his editors kind of pushes for it like listen we really need this interview maybe she won't recognize you you have a pen name now just do it and so that's sort of the crux of it the interesting thing is when i first wrote this i was still in college so i was like 20 years old i was studying to be a journalist and so this was sort of my like hey, let's write what my dream job would be. I would be an arts and entertainment journalist for a magazine in New York, and I'd get to interview all these fun, cool people, which that didn't quite happen for me because I work at a newspaper in New Hampshire, but I have gotten to interview cool, fun people like Weird Al and Lewis Black and Eddie Izzard. So it did sort of happen, but it's very interesting when I reread that first version, what I thought journalism was. (laughs) <laughs> to yeah. what it actually is and so when rewriting it I had the insight of having been a journalist for like nearly 15 years and was able to add that in and make it a little bit more authentic yeah
1: experience makes everything that much richer
0: Yep. Yeah. so it's, it's kind of nice uh, you know I could go back 20 year old Alec and be like hey y- you sort of got there so you know hang in there <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you know, I'm sure if I told 20-year-old me that hey, one day, you're gonna get to interview Weird Al, I would be like, bull-fucking-shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, the same with me with all the people I've interviewed, where it's like, yeah, there's a notebook floating around somewhere where I like wrote a fake interview with Greg Ginn, the guitar player from Black Flag. I didn't write the whole thing, I just wrote questions. Mm-hmm. And then, when I was at the daily gazette in schenectady i interviewed Greg Ginn of black flag (laughs) on the phone so that was a really that for me that was a moment where it's like yeah like 15 year old me would be
0: like shitting his pants yep yeah (laughs) that was fun so we're gonna kind of do a little bit of a cliffhanger here so out of our two interests out of me pulling you in to write this song for Catchy Band Name, I loved the song so much that I said, hey, why don't we write more songs? And why don't we make a musical?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, and it
1: was kind of more like, uh, like you know, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? And I was like, yeah, it would. Let's do it. And then you were, were kind of like, I don't really have an idea. And uh, I, I don't know how much we're going to go into it in the next episode. But I remember I was... I thought about it for a little bit, and then while I was taking a shower, because these things so often come while I'm taking a shower, I came up with...
0: Well, yeah. You'll see. came up with a completely batshit pitch for a plot. And... Yeah. uh, I kind of came at it with some of my ideas, and the basic structure of your idea still holds, but we added a lot more sort of emotional honesty to it, because in your original pitch, it was almost like it was like an airplane, like Zucker-style comedy that was just like over the top and like very like throw every joke you can at the, at the wall and see what sort of sticks style, but then it wound up being really sort of, like that aspect's there, but it's also wound up being kind of really sincere and sweet.
1: Yeah, like when I look back at it, I was think I was thinking like Beavis and Butthead do America, or like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, where you have like ridiculous characters that are just kind of floating through this insane plot, right? And the whole thing is just being taken at you know from their point of view, but they're insane. They're utter. They're utterly like off their rockers, and they're in this plot that is also like just nuts. So yeah, but it it didn't become
0: that. So. But we're going to save the rest of that for next episode. So mm-hmm. a banger. So we're gonna start our third season with that and we're going to because we actually amazingly, we wrote all the songs and we wrote the script in like three weeks. It was insane. It was less than two weeks. We were ready to like start beta testing it after like three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, So we're going to bring back Doug and Joel Who were actually, as I said, in Conflict of Interest They're going to reprise their roles Because they played some of the band members And mm-hmm. we're going to test out some of the scenes we wrote And test out some of the songs Yeah, and see how it goes Yeah, so let's end this with a little preview of that We're going to go out with Get the Punk Out of Here the whole, The song that started all of this All right. So yeah, listen to that and come back in the next episode and we'll fill you in more about catchy band name and the, (laughs) I've never said it out loud, catchy band name and the contest of melodic sounds. Yes.